Welcome to How to Trade It, The Road to Trading Mastery. Join Casey Stubbs, a seasoned trader, as he guides you to become a profitable trader. Find actionable insights, real-life stories, and strategies to boost your trading skills. Don't miss the journey to trading victory. Start listening now. Connect with us at podcast at tradingstrategyguides.com. Trading profits are just an episode away. This is the How to Trade It podcast. We talk about the real stories behind successful traders. You will learn the strategies that the best traders use in today's markets. And we get those experts to show us how to trade it. Hey everyone, it's Casey Stubbs with the How to Trade It podcast, and I'm here with AJ Brown from Trading Trainer. Hey AJ, how are you doing? Hey Casey, thanks for having me. I'm doing really well. That's good to see, and you actually look really good. I've known AJ for a long time. Really excited to have AJ on the show. I met AJ about 10 years ago in New York City at the New York Traders Expo, and we had a really good connection. AJ was really nice to me. I was a guy who was just getting started, didn't really know much. AJ reached out to me, was kind to me, set me up with some good training and really extended kindness to me. So he's a great trainer, great guy. And so pay attention today what he has to say, because he's going to share a lot of great insight. So with that being said, AJ, tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got started into trading. I first got to say, I was just noticing in the camera, I've got some really big sideburns and that's just a result of what's happening in the world. I haven't been able to see my barber. So I thought that was cute. But, you know, the way I got started, Casey, was, you know, a typical story where you're just really disappointed with the results you're seeing when somebody manages your money. But I have a little bit more of a background story where, you know, I was brought up with a single mom in an Italian-American household. We barely had, you know, anything to scrape by, but my mom had some really good values for my brother and I. She wanted to spend the time raising us. So she was a penny pincher. She was frugal and she was a really good investor. I mean, I remember, and I might be dating myself, but you know, with, with what I'm about to say, but she totally was an investor of treasury bonds. And this was late seventies, early eighties where treasury bonds paid a fortune, right? Mortgage rates were up in like double digits and things like that. And we lived outside of Washington, DC and the treasury department was right there. So she taught me at an age of six, of how to go down to the treasury department and actually purchase these treasury bonds and roll them out. And, you know, even though she wasn't making a solid income, I got this like hands-on experience as a little kid. In fact, by the time I was 11, she was having me ride the Metro down to the center of DC and go to the treasury department. And they all knew me and I was just rolling these things out. And so I had this like in-ground like understanding, but Then I got caught up in this whole like normal, you know, education. Northern Virginia is really known for its public school education. You know, I got into a magnet school. It was called Thomas Jefferson High School for Science and Technology, really popular school around the Washington, D.C. area. And just started it, followed it up with some college and 
graduate school. And before you knew it, I was in a bunch of day jobs and I was earning, you know, more than I had ever thought of in my life. And I hired a financial planner. And this was at the time when Malaysia came online and they were really big in the rubber industry and technology was moving into Southeast Asia well before when China came online. And there were companies that were doing really well. The internet was just beginning and my portfolio was going sideways. And I realized early on that even though I told my financial planner I wanted to be somewhat aggressive, you know, aggressive meant he was earning a lot of commissions on my trades and I was just kind of staying sideways, maybe seeing a bump like this or like this. And I decided to take that on my own, right? I said, I'm going to, I can manage this better than this guy. And I'm a single guy. And so I was living in Silicon Valley at the time working for Hewlett Packard. And I decided to start going to every seminar. And at that time, there was no webinar system. So you had to show up at hotel rooms. And uh, I'd start going to every seminar that came to town, usually every weekend. And I was listening to these folks speaking about different trading strategies. You know, little did I know, I didn't know much about the education industry at the time, but there was a lot of snake oil salesmen. But you see the same people when you go live to these events sitting in the audience. And I just started to dabble around with all these different strategies of foreign exchange currencies, commodities, stocks, futures, options. I really was attracted to equity options, options on indexes, ETFs, and stocks. And that's really what I wound up following along with. But I'll tell you that first in 1997, when I really started following these things, I think I paid more than I had paid for my university education in these courses. I think I paid something like $27,000 or something like that, which was a lot for me. But at the same time, not only that, going home and trying all these strategies during the week on the markets, I think I wound up giving up about $87,000 in losses. And I was basically creating every mistake that now I try to help other people not follow is, yeah, what I wound up doing, Casey, is looking around and realizing that the same folks were coming every weekend and I cornered them at the water cooler. And I said, you guys, we've been doing this. Uh, Why don't we do it together? And that way, you know, we could see where we're making each other's mistakes. It turned out that that was even better than I had thought because not only we looking over each other's plans for the next day and catching each other on mistakes, but we were also kind of holding each other accountable. We were making sure that we each showed up every day with plans. So a lot of times I found for myself that I will do something more for somebody else than I will for myself. Like if somebody says, hey, AJ, just show up at the gym every day and do this workout, I'm not going to do that. But if somebody says, hey, AJ, uh, let's show up together and work out together, well, then I'm going to be held accountable to something more than just myself. And so that was a big deal. And yeah, I don't know. It, it just all jived. The I became the secretary for this group and started to do these trades. And I started to be successful. And that's really how I began, right? I went from losing so much to then gaining a lot. Yeah, I have firsthand experienced your groups because you invited me into one of your groups. And it was really good. Lots of encouragement, very uplifting, 
It was very good as far as helping you really stay grounded, right? So I wouldn't do things like if you're in a group and you're working together, and this is just what I I mean, I've learned this in the past, but just in your groups, and I love how you set them up, by the way, that's really smart. It just, you don't want to go back to the group and tell them that you did something stupid, you know? So it's accountability. It's totally accountability. And that's, you know, in our coaching programs, fast forward 10 years from what I'm talking about, I did set up the same groups. I followed the same template that I had laid out in what I had gone through. I put people together. Now I even put together with a coach from Trading Trainer who has all of the experience and is an active trader. And, you know, with that combination, I kind of think of it, Casey, like the way I learned how to drive. And I bring this back and I say drive and people say, how is driving have anything to do with investing and trading? It actually is very, very similar because it's a skill that you learn. I mean, if you think back to when you learned how to drive, you know, you probably started off with like complete fear and utter like not knowing, just anxiety. Right. And they gave you some checklists to follow and you followed those to the T because you didn't know what you were getting into. So you were trusting in these checklists and you got behind the wheel. When I learned how to drive, I learned how to drive with an instructor next to me who had a brake pedal and a steering wheel for backup just in case I made a mistake. (laughs) And I also, there was two guys like me in the back seat. And so I would drive for about 20 minutes, half an hour, and I could ask questions to the instructor. And as I'm driving, I'm getting that experience of actually doing it. And the instructor could, of course, save us if I'm about to do something really dumb. And any sort of mistakes I made, we discuss it and so on and so forth. But then after about 20 minutes, we pull the car over and I'd get into the back seat and a new driver would take over. And even observing, I would learn that there were questions and topics that would come up that I didn't even know I had. Right. And that's because I'm sitting there in the back seat observing somebody else in the same position as me interacting with the instructor. So it's very similar. And that brings up one last point, and that is investing really is a skill that you have to master. It's not something that, you know, I tell my clients all the time, if I had a pill I could ship you in the mail and take and you could be an instant investor, I would send it to you. Or if I had a switch on my wall where I could flick it and you'd be an investor, I'd do it. If I had a way like in the Matrix movies to plug into you and upload all this information, including the experiences that you need, I would do that. But that's not how it works. If it was, we'd all be successful investors. And as many of us know, that's not the case. So you have to really focus where your focus goes, your energy flows and your results will show. But a lot of people, they want that instant gratification. They've got that kind of three minute MTV mentality and they're not going to be able to be it in the long haul to learn this experience, right? Right. And I think you what you said about the MTV mentality is kind of a generational thing that we're in. You know, we got the drive throughs, we've got microwave dinners like you want it now everything's instant, social media, everything's instant now. And so the whole concept of taking time to develop skills is very foreign to people and it's hard for them to grasp. And you think about it as well that, you know, how I learned was called trial and error, 
right? I mean, I don't get me wrong. I went to all those seminars, but at the time, actually, now it's even worse with all the you know headlines of becoming rich overnight. Right. But, you know, I would say that 70% of the information I paid for was probably from somebody who had never invested or traded in their life or maybe did, but it was, you know, dated amount of information. And so a lot of the way I learned was trial and error. I've made so many mistakes that, and so you can learn from trial and error. And that's probably one of the best ways to learn, but it's a very long process. So, you know, the next best way, and it's almost right up there with trial and error is guided discovery. You know, you really do your homework and you find, first of all, you get clear on what it is you want to learn. And then you find somebody who's already done it and you learn from their mistakes and don't recreate them. Right. And that's going to be a little bit faster way to learn. Yeah, I think that's a great way. Just guided discovery is a good way to put it. I haven't heard it that way. And I think that you still go through the process of learning because you do it yourself. Cause I feel like doing is my best way to learn. Like I right. do it, but I do it in such a way where it's more focused. Like, cause if I'm getting instruction from someone and they're guiding me, they're kind of steering me away from the things not to do, telling me exactly what to do. And then I'm still doing it and I'm still getting the learning in, but I've got a lot more laser focus while I'm doing it. It helps me progress a lot faster. You know, I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, again, what I like to do with folks is not so much just lecture to them. Uh, I like to have them in front of their platform and I like them to actually go through the moves. And then I like to repeat, 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 almost as if I'm like a training coach who's trying to build your muscles on a certain move or something like that. What are you going to do? You're going to beat you know, repeat, repeat, repeat until those muscles form. And each time you're going to make it a little bit more difficult. And that's what I like to do. It's, you know, like you said, one of the fastest ways I like to get people going is to put them in those groups and actually get the experience of live activities. Yeah. And like I said earlier, I did experience that and it was really good. So I want to talk now a little bit about your strategy. What do you trade and how do you trade it? Well, you know, we do all sorts of options trading. I do, you know, directional volatility, you know, range bound kind of time premium type strategies. But everything I do is focused on trading options against stocks, ETFs and indexes, equity options for the most part. So what I really like right now, seeing as how the market is extremely topsy turvy, is anything where you're profiting on one of the most you know, standardized, predictable variables of an option, and that's having it decay away with time, right? The theta decay component of options. So having a range-bound position and allowing it to just go through its expiration date or close to its expiration date and making that difference in selling the premium and then either buying it back or letting it expire worthless. What that allows us to do is not worry so much about the directional components of what the market's doing, not worry so much about the volatility changes because that's going off the charts and the predictability of it is really just out of this world, meaning it's not predictable at all. And so, you know, I would not call myself an active trader. I don't sit in front of the computers all day. In fact, I take advantage of conditional order entries. I program things the night before 
And then I come in the next night and see what happened. Because I got too much during the day to do the fun stuff to be sitting and creating a job for myself. So I'm all about selling option premium right now, whether it be in the form of, you know, butterflies or condors. The strategy, one thing that I like everybody to really focus on is there's patterns and then there's the tools you use to trade those patterns. And I'm using premium selling tools and that's a whole family of option trading strategies. But the main pattern is a pattern that is a range bound kind of channeling pattern. One of the ones I'm looking at right now, for instance, is Rite Aid. Rite Aid is in a beautiful channel and it's going up to resistance, down to support, up to resistance, down to support. And we could sell strategies. We could sell premium against that. And just like clockwork, we get paid. I call it an instant dividend, although that's a little bit of a weird terminology. It's you're getting paid your premium every cycle. And if you get assigned, great. That means that the option gets, you know, the person you sold the option to, they have the right to give you, if it's the case of a put or take from you in the case of a call, your option. And we cover it. We cover it with either a back month option or the underlying symbol to begin with. So that's not a big deal. It just means you go into an all cash position and you look for the next one to go. So I'm really digging that kind of strategy right now where we sell the premium. You wind up being in the same symbol for like three, four, five, even seven or eight months. And all you're doing is minor tweaks to those positions, you know, selling new premium when the last one expires, putting on your married protective option. And you're just nursing these type of positions as they go along. Really like those. Hello, this is Casey, and I wanted to take a minute to tell you about my new book that just came out. It's called Complete Trading System. This is my 25 years of trading experience sharing everything that I have learned in how to make a profit from the markets. You're going to learn about how to find the right instruments to trade, how to find a trend, how to get started as beginners. You're going to learn about how to get the right mindset and you're going to be able to put it all together to create a trading system of your own that will work for you. I highly recommend that you try it out. Just click the link right now. It's called Complete Trading System. It's available on Amazon. Thank you. Go ahead and check it out. I think you're going to love it. Now, when you're looking at something like Rite Aid, it's in a channel. Do you tend to trade it when it's in the middle of the channel so that you can grab it on the, I'm not real familiar with the terms, but when you grab the top and the bottom and sell both sides? That's a great question. So my exact process is I take the worst case scenario and the worst case scenario in this would be what we call a buy right. It's where you do both sides at the same time. And I take it when the underlying symbol is in the center of the channel, because that's going to be your worst performing trade. And you might say, well, why am I modeling that? And when I say model, I mean, I do it out. I use a spreadsheet, but you could do it out on paper and you determine what the worst case scenario risk and reward would be. 
Now, the reward number is nice, but if you know anything about successful traders, you know that they worry about counting the rewards at the end of the trade after it's closed. And when they're planning the trade, it's all about the risk, right? And that's where you can really differentiate newbie investors from experienced successful investors. Newbies tend to focus on the reward. Successful experienced investors focus on the risk. So I figure out what is the worst that this trade could be? What is the risk associated with that? And from that, I determine my position sizing, so that I can keep my risk in check. And I determine from that some price targets that I need to beat when I actually do this trade so that I'm not doing the worst trade. And so what I wind up doing, coming back to your exact question is, I model this, I come up with steps, which is like, for instance, at the next reversal, I'm going to either be buying a back month put or a back month call. And then at the opposite reversal, so I'm going to be legging into this position, I'll be selling my near term at the money, erroring to the side of out of the money, respective call or put. And I just, as it makes reversals, every time there's a reversal, I'm going to do another transaction. And it just, it's like rinse and repeat, rinse. It actually gets very boring. <laughs> so boring trading's good trading though, right? Not a lot of emotions involved. It's just consistent. Correct. Okay. So one of the things that kind of piqued my interest when you were talking about that whole setup was you come up with your position size. What is your recommended strategy for traders to find out how to figure that out? Do you know, that brings up a thought and I know I'm all over the place, but maybe that's why I'm a good trader. It's because my attention goes all over the place. <laughs> I have heard this one story for the last 17 years that I've been educating people on options. And that is, AJ, I learned this strategy, XYZ strategy, you fill in the blank, uh, vertical debit spreads, or I learned how to do credit spreads or condors. And I was doing them really good every month. Every month I was earning even double digit returns. And then for some reason on the ninth month, something changed. And not only did I lose all the gains I made in the first eight months, but I lost half my portfolio. And that immediately tells me that they're not doing their position sizing right. Because if you're doing your position sizing right, it means that there's no way you can lose half your portfolio. If you don't learn from history, you're going to make the same mistakes over and over again. It would be a shame to let history repeat itself when you could have avoided it altogether. Each week, the Finance and Markets newsletter features a financial history lesson to help you grow. Go to the link in this episode's description to subscribe. Coming back to what I actually do, it depends on that max risk that you determine, the worst case scenario risk. And you're going to take whatever the max allowable risk you're going to give to your portfolio for a particular trade. So I have this recommendation that if your portfolio is $5,000 or less, your max allowable risk might be 4%. If it's between $5,000 and $25,000, let's drop to 3%. 25,000 to a quarter million, we'll have it at 2%. And anything above a quarter million, if your portfolio is that large, any one position would only hit your position at 1% of loss. So let's take the 4%. Okay. If you limit your losses to 4% per trade, 
you would have to do 25 really crappy trades in a row to wipe yourself out. And my rule of thumb is usually if you do three premium selling trades in a row that are all the way to the max risk, that you need to stop what you're doing because it's not the market throwing you a curveball. It's you. You're doing something wrong and you need to go back to paper trading and figure out through repetition why you keep hitting that curb when you're learning to drive. But we take that max allowable risk to our portfolio and we divide it by how much that trade risk is. That trade risk we determine by modeling the worst case scenario. And that's going to tell you how much of your portfolio you can put into that position. And I follow that mathematical formula every time. There's, you know, when I go back and I talk to those folks about, you know, how are you deciding how much of your portfolio to put into your position? Their answer was always something like, well, the first couple of months I wasn't very confident. And so I put a small portion of my portfolio, but as the months went on, it was working. I got more confident. And so I wound up putting more and more of my portfolio into each trade. Your confidence has nothing to do with position sizing, right? I don't care if you're the most confident person in the world. The market doesn't care how confident you are. The position sizing is a factor of what is the max allowable risk to your portfolio divided by what's the worst case scenario trade risk. And that number is what I use. Yeah. And I've found that when you get a loss or a string of losses, you really want to make that up. So you might have a tendency to increase the risk, which is an even a bigger disaster. And then your 50% portfolio, well, that that's how you hit it so quickly. It's so true, you know, and again, your emotions, what your wants, your needs, you know, maybe some people will risk more because they think they have a rent payment due in a couple of weeks, right? Should not be the determining factor of how much of your portfolio you put into a position. It's a simple math equation, max allowable risk to your portfolio divided by max trade risk. And that's always what your position size should be. That's actually a great tip. And that would, when you mentioned the 25 trades, that should, if you're on a losing streak, your risk is getting smaller after each trade, right? Absolutely. So that will slow it down even further. Even further. You're right. There's like an exponential decay going on there. You know, I was simplifying the math, but you're absolutely right. So, but again, three trades in a row and the strategies are going against you. Stop. And go back yeah. to paper trading. In fact, yeah. when you're learning a new strategy, again, the best thing to do, and you know, you got to treat your trading as a business and you got to, that initial seed money, especially the time, the energy, the effort that went into getting that money to start with, you need to respect that money. And trading is one of the best things out there because you can simulator trade, you can paper trade strategies and get the experience from them without risking a dime. You know, but again, it goes against a lot of people's need for instant gratification. Right. And but they learn the hard way. And if they survive, they can learn. So talk a little bit about money management. So you were talking about position sizing, but if we take it a little bit further and just talk about long-term money management and success and some of the patterns that you've seen from the traders that you've worked with. So you know, the success with the patterns, what's beautiful about premium selling is very quickly, and you can design these trades, especially with where you put your protective option strike prices. So you can, everything is a trade-off. So for instance, we can trade off a long-term exponential gain of the position 
for a short-term instant profit. So for instance, if I had a confidence level that the position was going to continue to go sideways, right? It's a company that the investors have a track record of being more interested in the dividends than they are in seeing asset appreciation. So if I have a comfort level with that, I might do a cheaper protective option with a strike price that allows a little bit more leeway, but that'll allow the economics of the position to grow over time. And so long as it stays within that range, those will be exponential growths around, you know, month three, four or five. If I think that the position might leave its range early on, well, then I'll tighten up that protective strike price. It'll cost a little bit more, but I'm guaranteed profits if the position goes out of the range faster than three or four months. And so with that sort of thought in mind and the fact that I can design these positions, pretty much when the positions go against me, at least the underlying stock stops being range bound, I'm almost always guaranteed at least a break even trade, if not a gain. And so to actually have the loss That means that I'm doing something on the front end, the planning. I'm not waiting for the perfect signal or something like that. And so to manage the money that goes into these positions, I'm going to stick with that position sizing equation and I'm going to treat each trade separately. I'm not going to apply a blanket statement like I'm going to have five positions in my portfolio I'm going to wind up managing my portfolio in a way that each position gets treated by itself. So I might have three positions open in my portfolio. I might have 10. I might take a portion of my portfolio and have it be with these type of trades that, you know, I might be expecting to have more of a long term. And so right now with the coronavirus pandemic being at maybe its peak or just past peak, depending on who you talk to. You know, I'm doing a lot more of these trades where I'm doing the range bound trades, but I'm making them a little bit more protective, more conservative. And that's pretty much 100% of my portfolio right now. But as things get more calm, as the Fed continues to buy junk bonds and props everything up, and even now, you know, you would think with 20% or again, the numbers depends on who you talk to. You would think that the market would be at some sort of uh, standstill, but the NASDAQ is set to hit all-time highs in the next couple of weeks because of this propping up. And we've got plenty of symbols that are in these range-bound, you know, it's like as if nothing's gone wrong. The Fed is really doing some magic behind the scenes. You got to worry about that stuff, by the way. And that's why, again, I've got my protections in place and my protections are more on the conservative side, the more expensive side. My protective married options. So I love that you just said you got to worry about that stuff because I'm just thinking what with the economy and the news and everything's going on, if you have a trade like that and all of a sudden the market gaps down like, you know, a thousand points or something and it's just a news headline, you never know. How can that impact your trade? There's a max loss. So there's, you don't have to worry about like your whole account going out. No. And that's the beauty of these things. By the way, it could actually be just a tweet, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Nowadays, it's very influential. Yeah. And so absolutely, we put these protective, you know, these collars in place on all of our trades. And so that just happened a couple months ago where the market took a big dump in a short amount of time. And what happened to our positions? Well, in the main 
premium selling trade, they all got bailed out, meaning our stop loss order kicked in. We unwound the premium trade, but we let the collared protective options continue on. So, you know, they wound up continuing down until a bottom. And when we sold them, we had these trades where we were consistently, when things were range bound, making about 12, 15% per trade. All of a sudden, we had these trades that were making 200, 300% because this protective option did what it was supposed to do. So structuring and designing the trade is key. And the other component, of course, is recognizing the pattern that you apply any sort of design to, right? If you are only a jack of one option trading strategy, like you've come and you've said, all I want to learn is credit spreads, then you need to make sure you understand the patterns that those credit spreads get applied to. So often people learn a single option strategy instead of a family of option strategies, and they don't learn the patterns that must be looked for in advance. And they're just applying this strategy willy nilly. When the market takes a personality change, you know, those strategies are not going to behave the same way as they did last month. So it's really important that if you're going to take on something like investing, that you not just learn one piece of it. You're not like the contractor that shows up at the work site and only knows how to use the wrench. And today we need you to use a hammer, right? And if you try to use that wrench, you'll wind up breaking the wrench and you know, not having any success at all. Just the minimum, you might wind up damaging what you're working on. Right. And it's a process, just learning one thing at a time, taking your time. Just like you said, driving, it gets familiar. What would you say is the most important things to traders to master to be successful? If you were going to nail it down to like a list of three things. Are you tired of feeling lost in the world of trading and investing? Get informed and inspired with the Talking Trading Podcast. I'm Louise Bedford, and I'll help you navigate the markets like a pro. Tune in each week and subscribe now at talkingtrading.com.au or on your favorite podcast app, or check out the link in the show notes. Talking Trading, this is how traders excel. Absolutely. Risk management. So really understanding how to calculate how much of your portfolio to put into each position. I mean, that's really what it comes down to, being able to model the worst case scenario of whatever you're about to do. Next one is controlling your emotions. And how do I control my emotions? Well, you've probably heard this before, but I plan everything out and then I follow that plan, right? I remember that being a big deal in the early 90s called the ISO standard, right? ISO standard said, you know, write down what you're going to do and then do what you wrote down. And all the companies were like, I'm ISO 9000 certified. Well, it's the same thing with traders. If you write out your plan and then stick to your plan, and the beauty thing now is a lot of our trading platforms allow us to program that plan in. And I use that tool big time. I program my plan into those tools And then I walk away and I don't get caught up with seeing the bid in the ask price move and creating that fear of missing out or that fear of failure and all those emotions to rise to my surface. Because like I said, I've got an American, Italian American heritage. I'm very emotional. So do you do your, when you say you plug it in, do you do it with the market is closed or open? 
Good question. I do it the evening before. Okay. I always come in in the evening. I see, first of all, I take an assessment of what the broad market has done. And then I take an assessment of what my positions have done. And I come up with any plans for my open positions if there's adjustments needed. And I'll program those into my conditional trading platforms the night before. Any new positions, same thing. Whatever I want to see the next day, I'm going to program that into my conditional trading platform and then let it run the next day. Come back the next day, whatever fills, filled. And if it didn't fill, I might evaluate, should I try again tomorrow? And if so, I'll program it in again. And I might change the parameters of the conditional trades. I might leave them exactly the same. But it's just a iterative process every evening deciding what to do day at a time. I'm not going to speculate. There's a whole family of investors out there that like to speculate. I'm not speculating. I'm going day by day, assessing what's happened today, deciding what's going to happen the next day. And generally, how much time does that take on a given day? So if I'm just scanning through my open positions and possibly the positions that I might be entering in, that's going to be about maybe 20 minutes. Now, if any of those positions are giving me signals to plan up the conditional trades, well, then it's going to take a bit longer. It might take as much as an hour. But, you know, as investors versus as employees of somebody else or employees of yourself, if you're a business owner, as an investor, I'm all about making my money work for me. That's the definition of an investor, somebody who gets their money to make money for them. And I'm going to put time... Uh, you know, an hour into making my money work for me a day is fine. But just realize that you're not going to get paid for that hour per se. You're going to get paid for how smart you positioned your money the next day. That's good. And I apologize. I interrupted your question because the answer was, or the first question was the most important things. You hit risk management, then I interrupted. And what were the other important thing? Emotional management. Oh, emotional, yeah. And that was the whole thing with planning versus, and the last one was going to be making sure that whatever strategy you learn, it's applied first to the pattern. So I say to my program participants, I'm like, always learn pattern recognition, become a pattern recognition specialist. That should be your first and foremost thing. And if you're going to focus on a set of trading strategies, understand the pattern you're looking for and really, really get good at seeing that pattern. Then and only then should you worry about pattern utilization, right? Becoming a pattern utilization expert. So patterns recognition specialist first, pattern utilization expert second. Do that in that order because it's when you reverse that and you try to utilize patterns without first recognizing them that's when you start getting into some downward spirals. That's excellent advice. Great information. AJ, can you tell us a little bit now about anything that you got going on with your trading trainer, how they can get in touch with you, anything that you're offering right now? Yeah, absolutely. I got to tell you guys, I've got a web portal set up and I've been putting a lot of free content in there. I've got some technical white papers that I've written that are all about some different strategies. I have, you know, one thing that I know is that all the information is out there, but it's not in a nice, concise place. And so I've created a web portal where people can sign up for free. In fact, do you mind if I give the website? Please do. It's optioninvesting.org, option investing, not plural, singular, 
optioninvesting.org forward slash how to trade it. <laughs> so optioninvesting.org forward slash how to trade it, all one word, hyphen free. I should make that an easier URL. Yeah. Optioninvesting.org forward slash how to trade it hyphen free. And that will bring you to our web portal and just click the sign in. There's a little thing and you can create for yourself an account. And we've been doing these Ask AJ calls with the public. So we've been putting it out there about once a month where people can ask me anything having to do with trading. And so all the replays and transcripts are in that web portal for you to listen to. So it's a great resource if you want one place to learn about equity options, right? Excellent. And don't worry if you didn't get that URL, it is going to be in the show notes as well that you'll just be able to click it and go directly to the portal. And I recommend that everybody do that because his AJ's material is top notch, great education. He's a great guy, great trainer, everything. You're warming my heart, buddy. (laughs) It's true, man. It really is. I've been known you for a long time and you've always done excellent. I've been listening to the podcast as well. Thank you for turning me on to it. I've been listening to it for about a year and a half now. And I have to say that especially you have a ability to find the greats and interview them. And, you know, just a plug for you guys, if you're just listening to this for the first time, please subscribe, please click the like and all those different things and go back and listen to Casey's archives because he's had some folks on that have been my mentors in the past. People that, you know, I don't think that I've heard a webinar yet of folks that, you know, there's a lot of headlines out there making it so that you believe that you can get rich quick. And Casey has only gone for the true experts out there. So I really like this podcast, How to Trade It. Thank you, AJ. And thank you again for being a guest. And that is going to be it for today. Until next time, stay tuned to How to Trade It. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening to the How to Trade It podcast. Our mission is to help you create security in the markets. If you have a question you want me to ask my guests or a specific question you have for me, please email me at podcasttradingstrategyguides.com. I answer every email I get because this show is about helping you learn how to trade it. So again, please reach me at podcast at tradingstrategyguides.com. Thank you. for tuning in to another insightful episode of How to Trade It with Casey Stubbs. We hope you found today's discussion valuable and inspiring. Remember, the road to trading mastery is a continuous one, and your commitment to learning and growing as a trader is the key to your success. If you have any questions, comments, or topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes, please reach out to us at podcast at tradingstrategyguides.com. Keep listening, keep learning, and keep trading your way to victory. Until next time.